Brilliant. So as our parents come back in and get settled, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 15 in your Bibles. It's also going to come up on the screen. But this morning we're going to read from the ESV translation. So if it's different to what you have, then feel free to follow along as I read from John chapter 15. It says this, I am the true vine, this is Jesus talking, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you would bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abided in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends." You are my friends if you do what I commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, then they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on the account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, But now they have no excuses for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. 
But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. When the helper comes whom I send to you from the father, the spirit of the truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Mark, I invite you to come on up. I'll remove the the branches and let me pray for you as you share with us this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And I pray this morning for Mark as he shares that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit that he would know you close and that you would give him clarity this morning. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Give us ears to hear and a heart to be challenged, encouraged and teach us something anew today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I almost didn't come up because Zoe's illustration was so amazing. I thought, you didn't need me. Thank you, Zoe, for that. Although, uh, I'll get some grapes a bit later. So today, we're looking at being distinctive disciples. As you've already seen, we're looking at John chapter 15 to see what defines a disciple, what makes a distinctive disciple. And is this, what defines a distinctive disciple is abiding in Christ. Nothing else matters. And I'll say it again. What defines a distinct disciple, a disciple full stop, is abiding in Christ. Nothing else matters. So in this case, let's get the grips with the meaning of abiding in Christ. And if you've got your Bibles, we are going to be smack in the middle of John 15. Because in the middle of the Gospel of John, in the middle of this big discourse, this farewell discourse of chapters 14 and 17, in his final big speech to his disciples, before he goes to the cross, Jesus says multiple times, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. He says it in verses 4 Six, seven, nine, it goes on. This is a message he wants his first disciples and us to hear and understand. But abide is a a bit of an ancient term, isn't it? We don't normally say that in our everyday language. Um, I actually heard, although that's not true, I heard someone say the other week, oh, I can't abide that person. Is that what it means, uh, abiding in Christ? I can't abide that person? Meaning I can't stand that person? Uh, Some people say, I can't abide my in-laws. Now, my in-laws are awesome, by the way, so if they're watching, I'm not referring to you. But, you know, perhaps we can't stand people. Is that what what it means? We can't stand Christ? We tolerate Jesus? No. He's not saying, tolerate me. He's not saying, can't stand me. Let's try again. Or maybe you'd be more familiar with the term, I will abide by the law. Or, if you look at anything on the website, I will abide by the terms and conditions. Does that mean we observe Christ? We obey Christ? I think we're a bit closer. 
but not quite there. Because Christ, in verse 4, says he abides in us. He says, abide in me as I also abide in you. Does he just observe us? Does he also obey us? That doesn't quite make sense. And in verse 7, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. My words obey you. That, again, doesn't quite make sense. So, what is Jesus saying? What does it mean to be distinctive disciples? Simply put, to abide means to continue, to remain, to live or dwell. And to illustrate this vital command, this essential aspect of distinctive discipleship, it's what Zoe's already shown us, actually, the picture of a vine. Jesus says he is the true vine, and his father is the gardener or vine dresser. And he describes his disciples, again, as we saw with the kids' talk, as branches of the vine. Jesus says in verses 4 to 5, Abide, remain in me, as I also abide, remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide, remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide, remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide, remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So abiding, whether it means remaining or living in Christ, means you are intimately connected to him. He is yours and you are his. He dwells in you and you dwell in him. But it also means surrender. It means realizing your dependence on him. The branches, as Zoe showed us earlier, can do nothing without the vine. They cannot grow without the vine. They cannot produce anything of value without Christ. And so their branches value, their sole worth comes from being connected to Christ. And Christ does not say might be or perhaps be fruitful, but simply states those who abide in him will be fruitful. So today, if you wonder what your purpose might mean, and a lot of people, a lot of books say, what's your purpose in life? Jesus says what our purpose is. It is to abide in Christ and through that connection, grow into a fruitful union with him. That is your main purpose. Everything else is secondary. Through thick and thin, Jesus says, remain in him. Hold on to him and live for him through the winter of the world to the glorious summer of eternity. Hold on to him. So abiding in Christ means surrender, but it also means obedience. In verse 7, we are told to remain in Christ and his words, and in verse 10, to remain in his commandments. Obeying Christ is part and parcel of abiding. And my abiding in Christ is shaped by my obeying Christ, which is shaped by my 
loving Christ. How does your love for Christ shape your obeying, your abiding? Now, my marriage to my wife is shaped by my love for her, as is in your marriage or with your family or with your friends. It's shaped by your love for them. Here, the branches are pruned, are cut, and are shaped to be more and more fruitful, glorifying God and showing to be his disciples in verse 8. So we are pruned with purpose by the Father to abide in obedience and shaped by Christ. And abiding in Christ not only means obedience, not only means surrender, but belonging to him, not the world. If you look down in verses 18 to 27, Jesus tells his disciples that remaining with the vine, living for him, will most likely mean hatred, hardship, persecution. He says, you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. And so Jesus is saying, you will be targeted, you will be persecuted and pressured to not abide in Christ, to not belong to him. Instead, belong to the world, belong to its worldly desires and stay away from Christ. And Jesus tells us, do not do it. Don't even consider it. For the world's winter is short compared to the never-ending summer of eternity. So abiding in Christ means belonging to him. It means remaining in him. It means holding on to him, being obedient, means surrender. It's saying no to the pressures of staying away from Christ in this world. But to help us to do this, to be distinctive disciples, we need to understand the most beautiful part of abiding in Christ, which is this, Christ abiding in us. A Christ abides in us and gives us life through the fertile sap of his spirit, says theologian Mike Reeves. What we have is a fruitful relationship. And you know what's so beautiful about this? We didn't initiate it. Christ initiated this relationship, this abiding. But maybe you don't believe me. Let's look at verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. He makes the first move. Regardless if you are the first generation of disciples 2,000 years ago or here today, Christ makes the first move. Do you know how many times he says, abide in me, or if you read the NIV, remain in me in this passage? A multitude of times. Why? Because he desires you. He loves you. Have a look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide 
in my love. And verse 12, love each other as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved his disciples? As the Father has loved him. How has Jesus loved his disciples? If I cheat and go a bit earlier in John, we have the famous verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is sent but also lays down his life for sinners, for evildoers, for us, for you. Knowing what we're like, he came to lay down his life for us. And he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. He says, we are his friends. Being part of the vine is something so intimate. It is beautiful. It's not something distant, but something close. And Jesus in chapter 13 says, I'm going to wash your feet and serve you. But then he says, now I'm going to go and die for you. He's preparing his disciples for the cross. And it's not a 21st century expression of love is love, which is vacant. But it is a robust, determined, self-sacrificing love. So what purpose does he come and die for us? To give us life. Why? Because he loves us. Why? Because he does. Because he's generous and because he's kind. And so like the vine, so the, van, uh, the branches. Like the vine is generous and kind and loving, we are expected to also be generous and kind and loving. Love each other as I have loved you, says Jesus. And so the fruit of the branches of the vine is one of obedience, first to the Lord and then to each other. One of self-sacrifice and service, first to the Lord and then to each other. And so if you want a health check on how healthy your branch is, does that fill you with excitement? Do you see that as your purpose? to abide in Christ, to be pruned by the Father, to live in the sap of the Spirit, to take in the significance that we who were once bound for the fire are instead grafted into Christ, into his fullness. And what do you gain for being grafted into the true vine? Well, John Calvin writes that this is the design of the gospel, that Christ may become ours, not as a means to an end, but as the goal, as our focus. Christ becomes ours and we become his. Those who truly believe belong to the true vine and therefore have the true life forever. We become branches of the eternal vine abiding forever. When you marry, you're promising to abide, to remain and live with that person 
for life. Why? For a promise of a life of that person and their love, a fully belonging to them, to be with them, to enjoy communion with them, to enjoy their company, their very being. And you go, ah, that person is worth it. No matter what comes, I will stick with them. So is abiding in Christ. He is beyond beautiful, he is beyond wonderful, and he is beyond compare. And that is our final test of our fruitfulness, of our abiding. Are we prepared to testify, to talk about Jesus to others? If you go down to the bottom of the chapter, verses 26 and 27, Jesus tells the first disciples that the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father will testify about him. He will bear witness about me in verse 26. And you also will bear witness, he says to disciples in verse 27. But think about this. The Spirit, who has been abiding with Christ since the very beginning, who has known him intimately, who delights in him so deeply, wants to overflow and tell everyone about Christ. And so Jesus says, so must you. And this is commonly known as evangelism or mission. And this is where we begin the shutdown. Oh, evangelism. Oh, mission, that's a tough, scary word. I don't like that. I don't want to do it. Yet, I know which of you loves football, which of you loves Portsmouth or Argyle or whatever football team, I know which of you loves to garden. I know which of you loves to talk about your grandchildren or your children. I know which of you loves certain films. Why? Because you talk about it. You testify about it. And it's natural because that consumes your, your thoughts and your passions and your time. Can we do so with Christ? Can we recommend him to others, commend him to others? Abide in Christ, there's nothing like it. Pastor John Piper gives a challenging statement. He says, you cannot commend what you do not cherish. So do we commend abiding in Christ? Do we cherish him so much that we can tell our family our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our friends, our community. And so the question is, do you cherish Christ? For that is a big hallmark of a distinctive disciple. But now I must give you the warning that is in this passage. Otherwise, I would be considered, in my mind, irresponsible. Jesus says in chapter 16, verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Jesus is talking to his first disciples. But if we have been reading the book of John and paying attention, one is missing. One of his disciples who has been with him, has walked with him, and on the outside looks like He's in there. He knows it. He's got it made. 
but is now turned away from Jesus. That's right, Judas Iscariot. He left in chapter 13 to go and betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Instead of abiding and belonging to the vine, he abides and belongs to the world who hates Christ. Instead of being pruned to be fruitful, he is cut off. Instead of testifying for Jesus, he testifies against Jesus. Instead of being fruitful, he becomes fruitless. And instead of gaining life, he gains the fire. Verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you do not abide in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and are burned. And so when the disciples are listening to Jesus' words here and are weighing them up, Judas is betraying Jesus to the authorities. The absence of Judas is a warning. Do not wither. Do not be fruitless. Do not leave and abandon Christ. But instead remain faithful and true. Abide. Abide. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, first stopped cherishing him. Stopped pursuing him. Stopped abiding in him. For 30 measly silver coins. Don't do anything similar. It may not be 30 silver coins, but whatever the world offers, do not do it. Do not belong to the world, but instead belong to Christ. A Christian once decided to leave Christianity as a sort of a gap year of sorts. And so for a year, wasn't going to read the Bible, wasn't going to pray, go to church, worship, need Jesus. I'll do it for a year, he said, as an experiment, and then no more, then I'll come back. Guess what happened at the end of that year? Surprise, surprise, he had left the faith. We shouldn't be surprised because he chose from that moment to no longer abide in Christ from the very beginning. To love him, to remain in him, to surrender, to have sweet communion, to live in knowing Christ. Let that be a warning to us. If we're tempted to do so, then we've forgotten what it means to be united to the true vine and to remain in Christ, to cherish Jesus. When you are married, you form a new union with your spouse. But you can have a union without communion, that sweet sharing, that community, that friendship, that intimacy. And without communion, that union becomes joyless. Abiding, remaining becomes, I can't abide that person. I can't stand that person who is united to me. Because the heart has gone cold and the love frozen. Until death us do part becomes almost a sigh of relief. Our union without communion of Christ is joyless Christianity. But this is never on Christ's part. Please look at verse 10 with me. Verse 10 says this. And verse 11. 
If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. kept my father's commandments and abided his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Abiding in Christ, in verse 10, tells us that it's joyful, and it's the joy of Christ. And a joyful marriage easily becomes a cherished one. And so, abiding in Christ, cherishing him, brings joy to the Christian life. So let's finish. It is often said that a typical sermon application is this. Read your Bible more, pray more, go to church more. Now, these are all good things. I won't knock them. But instead, my application is simple. Turn to him more. When we read the New Testament writers... They can't help but be looking at Christ the whole time. They gaze at him, and actually turning away from him is almost painful. You can feel it in the writings. They are captivated by him. They are so Christ-focused that everything else pales by comparison. So when you do read your Bible, are you worshipping when you read about Jesus? When you pray, do you have in the back of your mind that Christ is interceding for you to the Father? When you worship, are your eyes gazing at Christ, what he's done for you, and that you get him? Or are you secretly thinking what you get from him, what he can give you? When you worship, are you focusing on him? Are you abiding or turning to him? In the words of Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane, for every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Let your hearts be filled with a heart of ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellence of Christ and all that is in him. So as I finish, I am not interested in your spiritual CV. If you did mission abroad, if you led a ministry for 30 plus years, if you've been to more church services than the minister, that you made a prayer of commitment once a long time ago, I don't care about that. What I do care about and what Christ deeply cares about, are you abiding in him? Because if so, you have everything. And you have not only eternal life, but you have the mark of a distinctive disciple. But if you do not have him, if you're not abiding, then you have nothing at all of worth. And no amount of church activity and no amount of good deeds will change that. So instead, if that is you, I implore you, Turn to Christ for the first time and know that sweet connection because he is faithful and he longs to abide in you. So, 
What defines a disciple first and foremost is abiding in Christ, remaining in him. Nothing else matters. For abiding in him means you believe in him, that you belong to him, that you serve him, that you're impacted by him, and that you want others to know him. So the question this morning, today are you abiding? Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are faithful, that you long to abide in us, that you want us to abide in you. Help us who don't know you to abide in you. And for us who are in you, help us to know that you abide in us and that nothing else matters. So Lord, help us to cherish you and turn to you more today. Amen.